Hello everybody, this is Heflamok here and you're listening to The Target, episode 8. Today I have the second JD member actually, join Dota, last week was uh, Toby Van, and now pretty much the, the newest acquirement of the join Dota company or freaks for you whatever you want to call them, one of the oldest forces in the Dota 2 universe pretty much. He joined them uh, about half a, half a year ago, is that right? Yeah, January, 1st of January, so yeah, about six months, seven months ago now, it's yeah, already July, time has flown by pretty quickly. <laughs> it's more than half a year even, so Durka joins me today, and of course guys, um, we have some interesting topics to uh, to talk about, uh, first we start pretty much with all the basics, so um, you joined, seven month, uh, joined Dota, and before all that, you were, I mean, you were a British citizen, right? That, that yep. is still up to date. But you have not been living in the UK for a very long time because you actually been traveling with your parents. Uh, you already said that on some interviews, but I still want to give the viewers that might not know you that much uh, the impression like why you're such a global player when it comes to this. Yeah, um, I was born in England, in the north of England, in, in a small sort of city called Bradford. But I think when I was about seven years old, something like that, my parents were both teachers. They thought, screw this country, let's forget England. <laughs> uh, moved to Indonesia for about seven or eight months, and yeah. they taught there, lived there for a while. We had, we had to leave because there was political turmoil, and there were, uh, the president was being overthrown. There were guys with like AKs in the streets and stuff like that, so we, we packed up and left. Um, went back to England for a while. I lived in Saudi, lived in Brunei near Malaysia for six or seven years. So when I get the question, where are you from? It's kind of an awkward, like, do you want the long answer or do you want the just where I was like, born kind of, uh, kind of answer to it? But, yeah. but you know, I've, I've traveled around quite a lot and I don't see England as like my home country. I don't feel, you know, English. I obviously have English heritage, but uh, and I'm a British citizen. But yeah, I've lived abroad for a lot of my life and... Southeast Asia was where I really got into playing computer games, PC games. Yeah, so, but that's actually an interesting thing you say there, so you don't really feel uh, at home in, in the UK. Um, what would you say when I ask you, like, where's home for you? I, I think I can answer this question in sort of two parts. Like, if, if I was to choose a home, I'd go and live in Southeast Asia. Malaysia, Brunei, somewhere in, yeah. somewhere in Southeast Asia, that would be, like, the ideal home for me. Like actual home, I, I don't know because my parents, uh, they split up about five years ago. So my dad lives in uh, the Middle East. My mum lives in London. So I don't have, you know, like a set home. But mm. more recently, I lived in North London with my mum for a while. So that's where a lot of my family lives. So I kind of say maybe North London is, you know, home. But yeah. uh, Southeast Asia, I'd, I'd definitely go back there and live there. How do you do it with the, the whole visiting now? I mean, uh, when, when they're like split up. Pretty much across the world there's like what four five six thousand kilometers between them um that's that's quite interesting when it comes to visiting you visit your dad you just go down there and then at some other i don't know time of the year you go to your mom um i lived with my mom in north london so my dad would come and visit my sister my brother and myself uh sort of summer christmas you know major holidays yeah. so it was easier for him to come and see us than you know sort of fly three or four people across to him so you, you still sort of gather as a family or at least as like the smaller parts of the family depending on how they all get along with each other for the major, <laughs> the yeah. usual family stuff, you know, where everybody just gets on each other's nerve. Sharing holidays. 
Yes, yes, the, the yeah. horrible stuff that I successfully dodge all the time. Like, it's even <laughs> on my birthday. No, on my birthday, I unplug the telephone, oh, internet, I'm um, on D&D, and my door is closed. The bell is off. Nobody gets even in on my birthday. So, yeah. Anyway, it's actually quite interesting. I mean, that means you actually had the oh, got the impression of many, many countries out there. You said Southeast Asia was the start for you for video games. Just to get the age right, you're 25 right now? Or are you 26? Oh, my God. This, this is a problem, like you bring up birthdays, this is a problem I have. Ever since I turned 18, like I haven't paid attention to birthdays. I was born in, I was born in 18, how old am I? Am I 25 or 26? Oh, she's not, she's not listening to me, she's busy. Um, I'm 26 now. 26 now, so, so I was yeah. Born in, I was born in June 89, so I'm, so I'm 26. Yes, then you're I, 20, I, 26. I, I, have, I have issues with this. Because no, I, I think I watched an interview of you that was February or something like that. And I think there they wrote 25. So I just wanted to make sure because um, you also mentioned in another interview that you started with FPS games, right? It was Counter-Strike for you, 1.6? 1. Uh, 1. Yes, yes, 1.5. I played Battlefield 1942. We played yeah. a lot of these games and like Warcraft 3 and things like that were mini games. We'd go and play them for half an hour as a break between uh, sort of playing tournaments or LAN events of yeah. CSGO. Uh, not CSGO, 1.5. <laughs> CSGO, yeah, it's 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 just ringing on on the on the tongue. Anyway, um, that's actually very interesting because that's the five years difference between us. Like, I started like really Counter Strike when it when it pretty much came out with the 1.0, and it's very interesting to see that also people still made it from Counter Strike into other games and later. And the the experience is is pretty much the same. Dota was uh, when it came to the Dota One games, like the what what did we call it? Like it was just maps pretty much. Like yeah, you had that horrible client in World of Warcraft 3, then you clicked on it, and you had to download it. Some people made a spot out of it and downloaded it, like everything. And yeah, that was more or less a yeah a game for breaks and everything. When when did you actually go for the the real Dota, like with a leather, a league, a tournament, a team, something something around oh, that? Um, I lived in Brunei for like five years and. So I lived in Brunei for five years and I finished my sort of first bit of education until I was 16, GCSEs in England or British curriculum. And I went back to England to do my A-levels, which is like the like a college before you go to university. And when I was in England for about a year, I played on Eurobattle.net, which was a private server before, yeah. before like before Garena, before um, RGC or any of the other you know, pseudo LAN clients came out. I played there for a while. And that's where I really got into it. You know, I was staying up until five in the morning playing games. I was, I was just like sitting on my PC playing nonstop and I met a lot of fun people. It, it was kind of interesting actually getting in touch with a lot of people that I'd known, what was it, what was it now, seven years ago. Yeah. And two or three years ago, I actually got back in touch with a lot of these people I played because obviously Dota 2 comes out, people start playing again. They realize, hang on, I'm on Steam. Let's see if this guy still exists. Add me on Steam. Hey, look, it's this guy I haven't talked to in seven yeah. years. How are you doing? Uh, actually, I mean, do you remember when Steam came out, how horrible it was for everyone? Um, for example, uh, on Counter-Strike LANs, right? You, you were going to a LAN with your PC, like the real old school style with your heavy monitor, your PC. It was horrible. You, you had to go there with the car. You built everything up and then at some point they, they added Steam and then it was not compatible uh, when there was a patch so you couldn't play it offline and stuff like that. That was actually the time I remember. So Steam, that's the funny part. Even till now, Steam always has like a, 
a negative touch to it when I hear Steam. I know it they, now it's great. It's a great platform, provides a lot of games. It's a marketplace. Dota came out of it. Valve is behind it and whatnot. But I don't know why, but Steam still sounds to me like a, a horrible thing. It's just a bad memory, I guess. I, I never had these issues. In, in Southeast Asia, we played on like in LAN cafes and we didn't yeah. have Steam. I don't think there was a single legitimate game in any of the cafes. It'd all be cracked <laughs> games. You know, that, I mean, Warcraft 3 that they bought once and they installed on all the PCs, Counter-Strike was no different. I, I was just trying to look up now quickly. I don't know when I first installed Steam, but I think it was you know, shortly before Dota 2 came out. I went, right, years of service. I have owned Steam. Uh, wait, I've had, four, I've had Steam for four years. So 2011. So, so yeah, slightly before Dota 2 came out, you know, in the, in the yeah, beta client. Pretty much. So I, I, I never had to experience that whole whole sort of CS 1.6 Steam nonsense. I haven't had it for the 10 years that I know a lot of people had. But that was this transition period where suddenly the esports scene moved from the LAN events into the online events because the internet just got better. Suddenly we had beyond the 56k or actually oh, yeah. 128 it was back then in, in germany so yeah and then suddenly it was possible to actually play online like reasonably okay let's let's not talk about the past we are still a bit about the past but more recent um you had one event that pretty much was before you officially joined joined dota that was the iesf right mm -hmm. You went there with Cap and Toby, if I recall correctly, and the whole thing was in Azerbaijan. Tell me about that, because I'm really curious. How was Azerbaijan? It was kind of surreal, the the whole country. Because, like, obviously we've been over. I've lived in a lot of countries. I lived in Saudi Arabia for a while, lived in Europe. Yeah. Landing in Azerbaijan, the first sort of view you get is of the airport. And the airport was basically like, uh, I don't know if you've been to Dubai airport, but any yeah. of the big Ar uh, Arabic city airports, you know, it's, it's glorious looking, you know that it's got oil or gas money behind it. They've made this airport to look really nice. You exit the country, everyone's got these big, you know, like Mercedes Benz, they've got all the big four by four cars. And I thought, hey, this is just like, you know, Qatar or Saudi Arabia, all these places I've been to. The weather was kind of European. It was, it was a bit chilly. And yeah. then the people there, I, I don't know, is this sort of weirdest mix of European, Southeast Asian hospitality. Everyone's super friendly, people walking down the streets. But there was a lot of police around, which, you know, was slightly disconcerting. It, it was very, yeah. I don't know, go government focused, I want to say. And when I was looking up about the country, a lot of people employed in Azerbaijan uh, are employed by the government. So I think that's um, that sort of got something to do with it, you know, is obviously yeah. they're trying to cut down on unemployment and they're doing their best to do that. But I don't know, it, it felt a bit surreal, but not in a bad way. It just was something I'd never experienced before. But it was it was a nice country. But you as a foreigner, you never had any problem there. Because I mean, if you actually read up on Azerbaijan, I mean, uh, by Western standards, it's not like the, the cleanest democracy of all times, right? Um, <laughs> so and you, you mentioned the police and I was like, okay, right? Yeah, that, that fits the description. Um, no, but as a foreigner, you never had any problem, right? Uh, the, no. the good or bad experience as in you being treated badly or people being that poor that they bag you and you feel bad as a foreigner? No, um, nothing like that at all. There was, I think someone got in a little bit of trouble because they were drunk and walking down the streets. They were just told to go back to the hotel after one of the after, yeah. after parties. But no, 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 nothing went wrong. I don't think anyone got into any serious trouble. And obviously, if, if there's an event there, it was all sponsored or you know built up by the Azerbaijani, was it Sports and Youth Federation? I can't remember the exact name, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, was, it was a government sort of funded and allocated event. So there were obviously 
things in place to say, right, these guys are here, they're representing, you know, ISF, they're here from, from this yeah. sort of worldwide uh, event, so make, make sure they have a good time. Okay, um, that's actually quite an interesting thing, so besides my, my, my normal topics we want to go down, um, you, there was this agency, and it's actually um, at least partly state-funded, that actually, yeah, pops up the idea, what do you think about the, the whole transition that more and more states get some sort of okay internet department is kind of normal in every state yeah. now just because of security purposes and and whatnot but like specifically an esport department or something around it and video games i mean that's popping up in many even southeast asian countries you have even senators like i don't know i, I can't even remember the name but the philippines over in the philippines example, yeah yeah um that are dota 2 fans you have even people in in china that help with visas right now because they are in a political position and help the people so more and more eSport people like entering also like the the real jobs and also jobs in position of power that's actually quite a good thing isn't it yeah I, I think we absolutely need this and it's something that I've been talking to a lot of UK people about obviously I still have my roots back in the UK from the Dota scene where ISF you know good segue from this topic yeah. the UK doesn't have uh, one of these agencies for the ISF, so there's you know South Africa, Romania, China, all these people are part of ISF, and they've got their own uh, you know sort of national embassies, whatever you want to call them, that then sort out qualifiers, send teams to the events, and set up the whole event uh, nationally. But the UK doesn't have one. Uh, they used to, I believe, but it sort of crumbled. They didn't have the funding anymore. Yeah. But I think the trouble is that a lot of these agencies so far have been third party. They've not been government funded. They've not been sort yeah, of exactly. allocated That's... by the government. They've They've just been grassroots, you know, movements that have built up from from the bottom. I know that South Africa has had a few troubles with uh, with their one, but uh, there's there's also, you know, you think about FIFA. That's you know a third party agency or you know, overruling. They're basically the overlords of football, and they've yeah. got their national agencies. If we had something that moved away from the FIFA kind of model and towards, I can't think of a good example, but something that was, you know more see-through more um more open then I'd, I'd really like to see that but that's that's the biggest problem i mean fifa that's i mean fifa is probably the best example of course now in a bad light uh, like recently but I, I just can't think of any other model because fifa is sort of like the the free market model where you have that agency that just combines yeah. everyone and and like everybody kind of accept it because if you don't go with, along the FIFA guidelines, then you're isolated. Then you can have your regional league in, in somewhere in Tombuktu, and that that's it. You can never <laughs> even step out of your country as a as an athlete. So there's, well, there's sort of a monopoly there, and the ties to the governments. Well, I think their economy just rules. If we, however, just give it to the hands of governments, I think they're completely incompetent. Because the fact is, I don't think anyone like around like politics, oh, yeah. not many. They don't even know what we are doing, what this is, and what kind of, yeah, value this all has also to society and whatnot. It's it's more or less the economy pushing politics at the moment to to go further steps. At least that's the the way I feel at the moment. Yeah, the biggest problem is always who do you put in control? Who who is in charge? Which person is going to be the president? Do you vote them in? Who votes them in? You know, do you want a democracy? Do you want someone to take the reins and actually take control of this and do it themselves? It's there's always a balance between, you know, someone who knows what they're doing, who has the experience, and then actually yeah. taking into the account the, the feelings of the public. By the way, uh, talking about, uh, still a, a bit 
about Azerbaijan. I mean, uh, there was a stream, they also showed the venue, but um, as far as I can remember, the whole thing was pretty much empty. At least on camera, it looked like it, right? There were not too many spectators from the country I, I didn't see. There were a lot of people like at the events, you know, competing, performing, whatever. I, I did get to meet a couple of Azerbaijanis, uh, relatively young people. I think they were, you know, sort of 14, 15 year old, uh, year old people that did turn up to actually go and watch the event. And one of, one of, the, uh, one of the interesting things was the intro. Uh, I can't remember what they, exactly they called it, but where, where they had like Azerbaijani dancing and music and things like that. Yeah. All, all of a sudden it like packed out. There, there were the, the seats were all full. Okay. And that being said, okay, so there was not the, the, the craziest response at first, but then people came, maybe not even directly related to Dora, just because they were given the opportunity to attend such an event. Talking about other scenes, because it's also like, I don't know, a little project of mine. There are so many scenes that that have problems with access to the internet, to esports, to organized events and everything. Like, uh, since you've seen it in Azerbaijan and since you came around just, yeah, for family matters, just it was just a biography thing. Like, is that sort of a project, I don't know, for your life? You're now in a, in a position where you can bring Dota or any other esport for that matter in the next years to regions that are maybe not even explored yet? Um, it, it's not something that I'm, you know, looking at doing, but it, it'd be kind of interesting, you know, this, this whole talk about having an overruling sort of agency. We've, I know a lot of players have uh, been talking about this before, like a, a player uh, agency for, for sorting out contracts and things like that. It'd be good to have something. I don't know if it has to be Dota 2 specific or over, you know, overall in general for esports. But what, what kind of region would you sort of look at and think you know, they're underdeveloped in terms of esports, in terms of gaming? Well, I mean, at the moment, for example, I live around the Balkans. I live uh, currently in, in Hungary, which is, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much the same story as you. I'm like everywhere and nowhere. Like home is, is where I have my, my internet connection, pretty much. That's how I would have answered the question. Um, so for me, I experience at the moment, of course, a lot of what's going on in Romania. So there's actually a lot of stuff going on. We have the Dreamhack there, the Starletter was brought there. Um, a lot of new esports are getting uh, picked up. The PGL Studios, Bucharest. Um, yeah. Now, uh, thanks to the European Union, we had like what Gluj Napoca is getting around IT and therefore also esports, a lot of uh, publicity. But if you go a bit south, for example, Bulgaria is, is pretty much dead when it comes to uh, like events or anything. Of course, it also has like also, um, I guess, economic reasons. Um, in June, I was on an event in, in Serbia, which is really like complete grassroots project. It's like one guy in Serbia saying, hey, I'll make an event. I'll try to get as good as possible teams there and yeah, just make the event. It was uh, from an organizational point of view, from, from my standards, how I know events, it was horrible. But the fact is, I see so much potential in these countries because, I mean, if you even look at the numbers of these events, it's so much cheaper I think the entire event costed as much as in Germany, for example, a venue would have costed if I rent oh, wow. something in, in Berlin. That was the entire cost for the event. For them, of course, it's a lot of money, but I'm just saying you can actually scale this. And there are a lot of countries where you can do something like this. So maybe shout out to some organizers out there. Go explore new countries because the people love Dota. doesn't matter which country or esports for that matter, but it always needs someone who actually does something in those countries. Yeah, now you, now you sort of bring up Serbia and Bulgaria and 
It's kind of weird thinking about that because back on Garena, the majority of people that I played with in Dota 1 were from Macedonia, yeah. Serbia, yeah. Bulgaria, the Balkans. They love their esports, they love playing video yeah. games. But yeah, thinking about events there, there just aren't really that many. Yeah. At they, all. They are like community wise, they have, they have like a lot of people that also some sometimes are gathered in forums or communities but like that next step that happened in, in in other countries i mean the funny part is if you look at the uk scene if you look at uh even the german scene and you're in touch with pretty much both maybe now that you're in berlin and you have been in the uk the uk scene if it wasn't about esl and some regional organizers and maybe Gfinity and stuff like that um i think would would be horrible but okay it's, it's kind of developed still the next step if you compare it, for example, to Sweden. I mean, in Sweden, eSport is a whole new level there. Like, a lot more organizations, a lot more sponsorship, bigger events. Um, you have entire, like, uh, TV channels just devoted yeah. to eSports and everything. I mean, they're, in comparison to Germany, for example, on, on, a, on a whole new level. I think, like, I, I can use UK as an example here. Um, it, it comes down, like, perfectly as you described it. It was one guy, pretty much, a guy called Will, that I got in touch with. Uh, oh god, was it two years ago in February? I think it was a year, well, a year and a half ago, whatever it was. But we had the first UK sort of Dota mini LAN, yeah. and it was actually held in. Uh, we didn't know this at the time, but uh, Sujoy's LAN cafe in the Trocadero. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> what it's called, but yeah. he, he owned these little LAN cafes, and we held it there. It was sponsored by Dota Talk, so we had Jaron, the guy from Dota Talk, who obviously has. Uh, some uh, interesting history now, but back then we didn't know what he was up to. But yeah, it was interesting figure that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But we had our first Dota, Dota land there. We had like 15, 16 teams, something like that. I cast it from a you know a back room. It was it, it was uh, not ideal circumstances for casting. I had to get someone else to try and help me stream it out as well. So there was a couple of us doing that. And then there's this guy called Will with the help of his, uh, a couple of his friends who managed to push this. So he's saying, look, this is an event that. Well, this is a game that people are interested in. Yeah. Uh, in Insomnia Fest, uh, Insomnia Gaming Festival, which yeah, is run by Multiplay. Yeah. Yeah. They they had done you know Call of Duty, Counter Strike. They'd done all these games before StarCraft, obviously. So they managed to pick us up. They said uh, at I forty nine, they were like, okay, well, who do we get to cast it? Who do we get to cast these games? Well, there's Hurin Flax, who had just you know sort of shot to fame with his uh, with his YouTube videos. So we we had him myself casting at I forty nine. Uh, and from then on, it was just this sort of stampede of, of UK events. You know, the, the first one we did, we said, okay, well, well, we'll do it as, you know, like a favor. We'll do it. We won't get paid. Just send us there. Give us the, the train fare. Give us somewhere to sleep, a little bit of food. We'll cast your three-day <laughs> event for you. Yes. Then obviously, the, the next event comes along. They say, okay, well, we'll give you a bit of money here. And ESL starts getting interested. ESL UK starts kicking up. And they've got their studio. They start getting more casters in. Obviously, there's, you know, Joe Show, Rust's. OD Pixel, all of these guys have come through from uh, from multiplayer, from ESL. Then there's Epic Land, which is more of a sort of community-based land. They do some smaller tournaments, and it's, it's probably my favorite land to actually go and participate in rather than work at because you know you go and drink, you have fun with friends. There's a, yeah. a lot more of a community vibe there, but. It's, it's kind of interesting that it took a while for people to pick up on this. And even though from the inside, once you're in these events, you think, hey, look, there's, there's 3,000 people here, there's 6,000 people here, all with their computers, all playing video games. Yeah. You still then compare that to the 60 million in the country and you think, well, there's still a stigma against PC gaming. There is, oh, still, yeah, this, yeah. There is still this thought that, oh, they're going to an event for three days, they're going to go and play computer games. Oh, yeah. But now I'm, I'm loving the fact that big 
sort of industrial like newspapers, big TV channels. The BBC has done a lot. The Guardian, the Times. Yeah. I did a I did a short little I did a short little interview with Matt from the Times uh, at ESL One. He was looking for British people to talk to, you know, people who'd go, gone over to visit ESL One, talk about Dota, talk about esports. And the same topic comes up. You look at South Korea, you look at Sweden, you mentioned, you, you look at all these countries, you know, Eastern Europe, Poland, there is no stigma against PC games. Or yeah. if there is, it's not overtly in your face saying, ha ha, they're nerds, they're playing computer games, yeah, what are they yeah. doing? The, the basement cliche, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. No, but, that's, that's not really happening there. Okay. Um, it, it's kind of interesting though the development of these of these events because um, if you actually look at it how it developed um, first we did those events LAN events where we really just literally took our PC out of our living room or basement for that matter <laughs> and went to your event. mom's basement <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably so you went to event just because you had to that was the only way you could compete with others because yep. you had to have a LAN a local area network literally then came the internet, and to be honest, and that's that's the funny part, till deep into the 2000s, like the internet actually killed the LAN culture for me. Because for me, I, was, I always hated the fact that I had to carry my, my monitor around, which was approximately, I don't know, 200 kilos, at least that's, that's how it felt. And I don't know, then there came this period of like, I don't know, was it 10 years internet gaming? But now that's the funny part. After all these years that like you have the top teams accessible, you can watch everything, download everything, connect with everybody on the internet. I kind of missed the events and now that I'm on like on, on Dreamhack or other lands or self-organized events, it's it's kind of nice to bring that back because it brings you back to the roots of where it all started. I don't know if other people can connect it the same way. Maybe for them it's just fun. Hey, I'll go there. There are giveaways. There are some signatures for pro players. But for me, this is really just back to the grassroots. Yeah, I think it's it's the same for players as well. Because you look at the amount of online tournaments that happened, you know, let's say between 2002 and 2010, you know, there's millions of online tournaments, lands were pretty hard to come by. But now, I, I really like the old DreamHack in Sweden, their model of the BYOC, and you can actually play in an open sort of tournament to get yeah, to play with yeah. the big teams. I think tournaments like that, or open online tournaments that could then lead into LAN events, that has rejuvenated the feel and the need for, for actual LAN events for people to you know, pick up their PCs or at least pay. It, it, it's why there's, there's a bunch of companies now where you can actually hire PCs for LAN events. People have made a yeah. living out of this because yeah. they're seeing a lot more people want to go to LAN events, but they don't necessarily want to pick up their PC, pick up their monitor, get on a train. You know, that's the biggest thing, getting on a, getting on a train or a plane, lugging your, your PC. Uh, yeah. With, with your PC and then with your clothes and your backpack and your monitor and everything else. Yeah. So, you know, being able to hire out a PC and just turn up and play, that, that's, that's pretty good. Well, it, it, it probably wouldn't work for me. I'm, I'm a very, I don't know, very specific guy. You, I, you I, like I, your I setup. It, yeah, yeah, it, it has to be my setup. Even, even the size of my monitor and everything, it has to be very specific. So, otherwise I can't play. Trust me, I dropped 2000 MMR the second you swap any peripheral or something like oh, that. Um, either way. Uh, going a bit back to the, the whole caster thing, uh, you we already said it, joined seven months, joined Dota. Before that, um, you were having the I, uh, IESF event, but even before that, you have been casting um, on like smaller events. There was some UK stuff you did before. You were actually with Toby on the joined Dota stream before, because I know you from before you actually joined joined Dota. You, oh, yeah. you were a name to me on the jo joined Dota stream before you actually ever joined, joined Dota officially, right? Yeah, that, 
that's going back like a yeah. two and a half, two and a half, three years ago, some, something along those lines. At least but, three years, two, two years minimum. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was co-casting with Toby, with Cap. Uh, I jumped on a few times. Yeah, UK events. I did Epicland, Insomnia, ESL. I think I've done uh, pretty much every UK event under the sun since Dota started. Minus minus one or minus two, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've done the, the majority of them. What what actually changed from from back then to to pretty much the point where you uh, joined Join Dota? I mean, everybody knows why Join Dota wanted additional caster. They did it once with Cap. And it was sort of a success. I mean, Cap was like, who the fuck is Cap? Uh, what does he do? Where does he come from? And he was like always in the shadow of, of Toby Van. And he developed out of it because there was also, of course, a necessity to get additional cast. So then um, Joy Dota like, had that like, little silent period where the community describes it as in Joy Dota is dead. Mm. They're there. Beyond the summit, beat them with their monopoly, whatever. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, Joy Dota. Reddit was, was totally nuts about it and the fact is there was so much content and everything coming in that they needed a caster and uh, on the podcast Toby literally said um, decision was easy they needed someone they know someone that can do play by play someone who can go solo but also someone who we can mix in with us with, with Cap and Toby as a caster that can adapt so uh, they described you probably as, as a very adaptable caster you can, you can go as a caster in multiple roles but still, like from back then, two years ago, when you were already casting, what what changed? Like, wh when came the decision that you actually want to go for like the professional thing, for the real thing? I I don't think anything really changed. It was always like a hobby to me. You know, I'd, I'd jump on when I had spare time. I never sort of set my sights until uh, I don't know, sort of a year ago or something like that, when I thought, oh, this is this is something I can do. You know, this is something that maybe I have a chance. You know, I yeah. talked with Toby, said, you know, there's there's a potential for a trial. We, we might, you know, bring you over for like six months and see how things go. Obviously, ISF, IESF was uh, a bit of a trial run. You know, it, it all worked out well in the end. I think it was uh, it was a great a great advantage to be able to go and meet Toby and Cap because I'd never really met them in real life before. I sort of, in passing, you know, shook hands, said hi, had a few drinks at the at the ESL One Frankfurt last year. I think that's the only time that I met Toby and Cap sort of face to face was the first ESL One Frankfurt. Apart from that, it was all you know online on Skype. So getting to meet them, hang out with them, and actually get to know each other was was really great. But I, yeah, it was it was. It was it was always like a hobby for me for the past three years or, or more. The fact that I was going like on, on the weekends, if I did a UK event, let's say in, in June there was the Summerland Insomnia Gaming Festival. They said, okay, we'll give you this amount of money. We'll you know, give you train tickets and bring yeah. you over. I was like, right, I'll book off holiday from work. I'll, I'll take off Friday and Monday. And that was you know, like a holiday for me. That, that was a hobby. I, I enjoyed myself yeah. and I had fun with it. But it was never in my mind as, oh, this is something that I should you know, make my vocation. Okay, and so, so it, it got real when Toby pretty much uh, said, "Hey, there's the there's an opportunity, take it, go for it," and then it kind of just solidified into reality. Yeah. Okay. Well, so so you're one of those guys who's actually just really just jumping uh, from one puddle to the other till you land in pretty much a pretty swimming pool and enjoy your <laughs> day. Okay, that's that's actually very interesting because I mean other people they they, they work directly for it. they're like yes uh, my name is is Durka I'm, I'm having this as a hobby but I I want to real really go into esports I work towards it I'm gonna apply and whatnot and for for you it, it was more like yeah it is an option and then it just happened I guess 
Uh, it's sort of a bit of both. You know, I obviously did sort of work towards it, but not directly. You know, I was doing it as a hobby and I always knew that there was, you know, that path that I could take. Hmm. It's just that I wasn't, you know, directly looking at the map and trying to find out where the path led or how to get to that path. You know, I, I knew it was there, but I don't know if I was scared to follow it because, you know, in, in your mind, if you're thinking, oh, I can become an esports caster, I obviously still had doubts thinking, well, what, what, what happens next? If, if it fails, what do I do afterwards? If, yeah, if this yeah. works for a year, if this works for two years, what do I do after? So I'm, I'm kind of glad that I got, uh, got the job I did before I came to Berlin. I worked for about a year and a half doing logistics in a warehouse, and you know, I got some real-life experience, if, if I can put it like that. So I've, I've got something to go back to. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that I did it as a hobby and knew that I had the opportunity, if, if I wanted to, to, to actually push forwards, and that's where we are now. Yeah, okay, that's very interesting. So let's, let's just go away from the whole idea, how did I get there? Now we are there. We are enjoying Dota. You go to Berlin. As far as I know, you did not just go yourself, you even brought your girlfriend there, but uh, that's, a, that's another topic. Let's just talk about you actually going to join Dota, you go to Berlin, enter the studios uh, you said in, in many interviews it's really like a family thing I mean you got introduced it's it's very family like so you you kind of felt comfortable from from the very beginning but I want to I want to know what is a, a normal work day for you I mean I'm not talking about the cast it's not talking about like hey I'm going into the studio at 9 a.m. because a game starts I'm, I'm you still go into your workplace even without a cast right what are you actually doing in the studio um in the, in the first three months or so, it was very sort of hands-on. There was a lot to cast. We had MLG. We had yeah. a whole bunch of you know, content to produce. So the first three months or so, it was just casting nonstop, and that was pretty much it. Now it's quietened down a bit. We've still got you know, contracts to fulfill. We've got uh, content we need to produce. So right now, uh, all of us, you know, it's not just myself, we're looking at what content we need to produce, you know, mm. timelines for it. So we're, we're actually coming up with concepts for... You know, non-casting uh, content. You know, we're looking okay. for. Okay. What's what's uh, that exactly? Um, I've got a couple of things that work in process, but we're obviously looking at. We, we we did some trials the other the other week. We did some scrim nights where Blitz is sort of taking the lead and taking us through a sort of mindset and how people go through scrims and how drafting mm -hmm. phase works and actually playing you know serious games. But I think that's going to be you know like Honey Milk, Cap, Blitz, and maybe someone else that will be doing that. Well, we'll be doing some custom map, you know, runs, uh, a couple of hero combo things for overthrow. But yeah. we've, we've got some more interesting ones which are still work in process. So I, I can't really reveal anything else. No, but. no, it's not about the details. <laughs> it's just, um, but how, how can I actually see this? So this is it's gonna be content that you. I mean, it's non-casting content, but it's still commentary of of certain content. You're gonna put that on MLG in a streaming form, and then you're gonna feed it also into the Join Dota. Yep. YouTube channel. YouTube plus social media whole thing and that's that's pretty much the content you're gonna produce and like all the people you just mentioned that work on similar things or only that or like it, okay I'm trying to understand like how is it like everybody in Join Dota has like their tasks their timelines their projects to go for you you just sit together and say like hey guys in this month we have to produce these content or like these three videos for example we sit together and you just do the videos yeah, like someone takes a lead on the video and they drag in who they want. So let's say the, the one we're doing uh, this week, to, I, I came up with 
Um, you know, the, obviously the new map overthrow came out, so I thought, hmm. hey, it'd be kind of fun to think of what heroes are overpowered or are kind of fun to play in overthrow. So Toby and I are going to sit down for you know, four or five hours, go through a couple of hero combos and see if we can destroy people, see if we get destroyed <laughs> because I'll have Toby on my team. But it's, it's just, you know, it's little things like that. We've, always, uh, we've got some bigger things, but we're starting off small for now, see how things sort of pan out. And uh, it's, it's also working, you know, sort of, partners and pairings, so Toby yeah. and I have a good back and forth, and I know Cap and Blitz, you know, they're great friends, so they've got, uh, they've got yeah. a great sort of working duo between them. What, what, what's your MMR? Random question. 5.5k um, right now. Okay. No, I was just checking if the pairs Road. are actually going along the, P, the, the MMR no. line. I think Toby might be the lowest of, of all those, because Cap... Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What is Cap? Did, did he ding 5k or was it 6k? I can't even six. remember. It was 6, he, right? He hit 6k like three weeks ago, something like that. He, oh man, he was grinding. He was playing from like 10pm until 5am for, <laughs> for a good three yeah, weeks, yeah, a month or so like that. I do not have it in me. I cannot grind. I'll sit down, I'll play two ranked games and it's like, well, that was fun. Let's play some GTA. Let's play some Fallout New Vegas or something like that. I, I just cannot go game after game after game. It just drain, it drains me completely. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, MMR is is a horrible, horrible cesspool of many, many bad people, including me, that just rage around. Like, it's it's really. I can focus maybe on five MMR games, grind that 125 MMR, and then after that, you you play your fun hero, you lose the game, you get frustrated, and then in the end, yeah. you you go to sleep and you're so frustrated about your horrible solo MMR. Well, that's another story. Everybody knows that story pretty much. Um. So that's pretty much your day in a studio, and that goes how many days a week? Like, what's your workload as in, like, um, you know, it's, hours, days? Like, it's difficult to say because, obviously, sometimes you have, like, a 70-hour week. Sometimes you're working, you know, 10 hours a day or something like that. Casting Including the casting? Um, this, like, there's, there's no sort of office job in itself hmm. so like we're, we're well I, i'm hired as like a commentator but i have a certain hour, uh, amount of hours that i'm meant to do so now that there aren't too many games to cast you know we're looking for jdl games which will be coming out soon that's just been announced guys shout out jdl season seven go and sign up you know it's it's <laughs> it's, it's all up and ready but un until those come out uh, until those uh, get out there We've obviously got uh, contracts to fulfill and we've got some content to push out, but there is no real sort of force to do X hours per day or X hours per week. So, okay. you know, because obviously it's known that some days you'll work your ass off and you'll do three times a full day or, you know, two times a full day of, uh, of a normal office jobs. And some days, you know, you just have a, a more relaxing day, but you, you've still got to pull your weight. Okay, so in theory, if you're a joint Dota employee, you've got Friday something to do, you met all your timelines till Thursday, you can actually say, hey guys, I'm coming late in or not at all on Friday because there's nothing to do. And we did everything in a bunch of hours like before that week. Is that possible? Yeah. Okay, that's that's actually a nice work working environment, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, that's that's interesting. It's 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 nice to get some insight on like how the studios work because, uh, I mean, it's it's a German company, so <laughs> I could you know as I know the Germans, <laughs> clock in, I, clock out. Yes, exactly. I would have guessed like okay, eight hours straight plus the obligatory like two hours 
yeah on top of it that it is kind of necessary or like your boss will tell you that it's absolutely necessary and it will never appear somewhere on any paper so <laughs> that, that's kind of the, the way i know the, the german market okay let's let's go away from the whole joinoda stuff uh at least from the working part germany as such you as a very international guy how was how was the adaptation into the german society it's it's been good I mean, there's there's nothing like I can't fault the country. I think that the biggest thing for me is moving from North London, which is uh, it's a shithole. Like North London, London in general, a lot of English cities are awful. And I had this vision of every city being like that. You know, Southeast uh, Southeast Asian cities, they're relatively yeah. dirty th yes. for the most part yeah. outside of Singapore. Um, so I kind of had this vision where you know the like the majority of large cities I've been to were, were dirty. They were kind you know they were dangerous parts and. I was expecting the same from Berlin, but you know we're, we're in Spandau, so we're not in Berlin. We're kind of off to the side. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 so nice here. Like honestly, even we've been into the city once or twice. The the amount of greenery here. I think the like the biggest shocker for me was when we went to Frankfurt last year, flying into the Frankfurt airport and just seeing the amount of forests. England doesn't have forests anymore. We don't have any freaking trees. We cut them all down in like the 1600s to make our wooden houses. I don't, I don't know how Germany has managed to keep all of your forestry. But um, the, the funny part is Germany actually also lost like more than two thirds of its forest like really? over the centuries. <laughs> what, what is left right now is either really what's left or, or you've regrown it. Yeah, it's regrown. Like that's actually something I really like about Germany that it's uh, it became a really green country, at least pseudo green. Most people are there. They're green on the outside and then horrible people on the inside. But uh, that doesn't really matter. I'm not a hippie myself right there when it comes to stuff like this. I'm, I'm conscious about the environment. But yeah, it's it's very nice to live in Germany in the areas that are green. It's, it's very refreshing in comparison because as a caster or in eSports, you see it quite often. You travel a lot and you see it in other cities. And yes, I guess it's a nice working environment. Yeah. Uh, where are the JD Studios exactly, by the way? There, uh, Spandau. Center. Yeah, also there. Okay. Yeah. Well, then it, it's definitely a nice area. I know Spandau myself. Okay. You you brought your girlfriend, right? She yeah. Was she following you before like that? I mean, it's, it's quite a commitment to, of course, have a girlfriend and then say, well, I have this opportunity. Would you come with me? Like, how easy or how hard was it on her? Um, she was living, uh, we were living with my mum back in North London, so we had like the attic room upstairs in her house, so yeah. I was working, she was unemployed and it was, like it was hard on her moving from Estonia to the UK, because she's uh, from Estonia originally, okay. finding a job or actually trying to fit into English, I don't know, society in general, isn't easy for, for anyone, like anyone coming to the, coming to the country fresh, so. It was real, it was a lot easier for her to sort of pick up and move to Berlin and you know get sort of associated with the company and get a, she she got herself a three month trial contract to see if they could fit her in and she yeah. succeeded now uh, I, I don't know what her role is but she's sort of like a project assistant with the uh, with the project manager she does a lot of the VODs a lot of the sort so of planning so she's actually JD stuff yeah. alongside with you okay so I mean that that's fine I guess unless you break up. <laughs> <laughs> because then you have to always see looking work. on the bright side of yeah. things <laughs> well that's a typical german right there um okay that's i mean it's good it could have also you know go for the bad option like her having a trial not being accepted and then you're yeah. 
yes, I brought my girlfriend to a different country. She already had well, to now. adapt to one culture. Now you throw them into the German pool of people, which is also very interesting and hard to adapt, I guess, sometimes. So, but the you guys feel feel well around Germany right now? Yeah, I I had like no German experience. My German is awful. I can't speak a freaking word. Like, yeah. I can speak a couple of words, and most of them can't be repeated on air because they're all swear words and they're rude. But she she studied German in school, so it's a lot easier for her. You know, if we go to the supermarket, so we go to you know somewhere we need to buy tickets or you know need to talk to someone, I turn to her and say. Can you ask them what what we need? Because you know she can have a com like a, a conversation yeah. in German to some extent, whereas oh, I, I just cannot do it. So it, it's been a lot more helpful for me that she's here as well, being able to translate and you know hold my hand and guide me through supermarkets and things like that. Because That's cool. oh man, the the first time we were in a supermarket and the the cash register the the cashier asked you know do you want a receipt and I just looked at them blankly like. I, I have no. I sorry. I don't speak German. I have no idea. My girlfriend just turns to me. It's like, nein danke. Like, oh, okay. Well, we'll walk away now. We didn't want what you were offering. <laughs> okay, that's actually quite interesting. But um, how's how's your attitude? Because uh, like when it when it comes to Toby, for example, he clearly said like he he has barely any German friends beyond joint daughter. Um, no really attachments to the area or something like that. Not the culture. I think Toby's not never gonna learn German in his life even though living in Germany. Um, but how is your attitude towards this? Because, I mean, when I go to a different country, the first thing I'm going to do is put a deadline on myself when I master the language. So that's like six months to a year, then I speak the language to a medium or professional level, business level. Yeah. But uh, this is me just being very elitist on, on, on adaptation. You lived <laughs> in so many countries. At some point, you might say, it, you know, screw that. Next year, I might be in another country, so I'm not even going to start. Yeah, it's it's difficult because when I first moved here, I was on like a six-month trial contract. So I was, you know, sort of unsure how long I'm going to stay. What if, if I do put a deadline on myself? If I learn German and I expend this time into it, will it be worth it for me? Now I'm going to be here a little bit longer. I'll. Um, I I was thinking about doing German lessons about two months ago, something along those lines. Hmm. Where I I know someone else who just joined the company was uh, going to do them as well, but. I, I, I need to learn the I need to learn the language. I need to converse with people. If if I want to ask someone for something, you know, going and get a getting a doner kebab or something like that, I want the garlic sauce and not the chili sauce. I want to know how to say I want the freaking garlic sauce. I don't want them putting some <laughs> random crap on my kebab, you know. <laughs> or if I want a certain beer, I want because you know, I, again, I bring up the Frankfurt example. I had like yeah. zero German knowledge. I went to Frankfurt, go to the bar, ask you know, ein Bier, and they give me a freaking Corona. Okay, well. Uh. Uh, no, no, you know, I say no thanks. Can I have one of those? And the, you know, they are not happy about that. You know, it's obviously on me the fact that I asked for a beer and no, uh, no, no. It's, you, you, I think you're wrong there uh, because Germans are like when it comes to English also very. I mean, it depends a bit on the region. In, in cities, you might get lucky and they they actually appreciate it. But um, yeah, they're they're similar to other countries where they're very proud or I don't know, maybe also ashamed that they. They just suck at English. Maybe it's really lack of <laughs> education and the foreigner comes and you're suddenly forced into a language where you feel uncomfortable, even though you in your business should be catering to tourists, for example. And that includes speaking English. But I, I guess that's also, again, my attitude. I also come from a very, very language disabled family that is, oh. yeah, 
that maybe influenced me that much learning so many other languages. So that was pretty much the girlfriend part. I was very much interested in it because not many people a commit to go to another country and b even bring half of their family with them, as in like yeah, your second half pretty much your yeah. half. So. Talking about JD casters, I mean, many people like on Reddit they say like Durka who, of course they know you. You're like the third guy that comes in to join Dota. Like, how is it yeah. with the positions? How do you live with the whole thing being in the shadow or the imaginary shadow? It's it, it's not imaginary though. Like when when I joined, it was um, like clear in my mind that I have I have big shoes to fill. Like Toby is there. He is the, at like at the pinnacle of his career. You know, he's got yeah. hundreds of thousands of followers. He is the Dota, like well, you know, he is the Dota two caster. He's been there the longest. He's probably the most well known or identifiable. Then Cap has you know progressed massively over the past year. He is now casting at TI five and probably going to be doing the main event. He is one of the best and. I know that it's it's been difficult for me. I've, I've kind of put a lot of it down to the he's not Toby syndrome, where yeah. pe pe you know people uh, turn on the stream, they go to the JD stream, they're expecting Toby or Cap, and like, who's this guy? Why why is he on my screen? What's he doing here? Who yes, is he? Why yes. is he talking to me? Yeah. So uh, a lot of the sort of bad reception I've got, you know, <laughs> I, I I took it hard for uh, you know a good week or so, where I realized, okay, well. I, I'm not getting good reviews. This is not going great, but it's been amazing having people to talk to, talking to Cap, talking to Blitz, talking to Toby, and realizing that that isn't the view of the entire populace. You know, maybe people aren't following you on Facebook, on Twitter. Maybe people aren't, you know, following you. And if you don't have that instant sort of uh, attractive quality that yeah. that the viewers want, then maybe you aren't going to instantly get uh, a massive following. You know. Uh, Od Pixel is probably the greatest example of that. He, he's out there, and you know, he, he basically went from what January being uh, sort of casting on. I can't remember what he was casting for you guys. You know, he was casting ESL UK stuff, casting for you yeah, guys, was, casting with Wakey Pixel. Yeah. And now it's a TI five. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was really a success story. I mean, he had some Patreons on the way, and he also has a lot of talent. Obviously, to be honest, you know what's the funny part about Od Pixel? I mean, I like that guy a lot. Like, I even like his casting and. Uh, not everybody likes his style. That's the funny part. Like the whole British accent. On also, he's very young, and uh, uh, I don't know. Sometimes uh, some puns, but I think the the majority of people like him. And even if not, like most of the casters are polarizing anyway. So don't care yeah. about the haters. Care about those who actually like you. But yeah, it was kind of funny because the first thing I, I told him, man, we really gotta work on your camera. It sucks balls. Like he really joined and was like, I looked at the VOD and I was like, man, what, what are you doing with this camera? And the funny part is, like he improved a lot. But still, like you can actually see the difference between like a normal observer on on, on uh, I say think... on Dream League and and him actually having the camera yeah. when he casts face it. It's like day and night. So I think there's still think... a long way to go. I think British people have this problem because that that was like one of my or it's still one of my biggest flaws is camera work and knowing how to keep it flowing because. I still, you know, even though I have improved since January quite a lot, I still have these moments where I still think of like myself controlling the camera as playing the game. So yeah. I'll look at a kill and then I'll instantly flick somewhere else to try and catch some more action when, uh, like Toby put this pretty well, people want you to sit and watch where someone died to reflect on the moment. They don't want to instantly be taken, you know, ripped away from that moment and shoved somewhere else. They want to see the kill. They want to see what happens after the kill. They want to reflect on that moment. They want you know a little bit of time to say, oh, okay, okay that happened. Now then you can sort of slowly transition to, to the next place. But 
it's little tidbits like that, which, you know, obviously I'm asking for, for feedback from Toby and Cap who have learned so much and they've got a, a massive amount of experience and uh, build, building up my own experience is, is the biggest thing I'm looking at right now. Okay, that's actually very interesting. So they, uh, they have like their, their little, I don't know, in, in mind choreography, how, how to do like also certain events in the game, like how, how long to stay on a, on a certain action even after death. I think animation. once, yeah, I think it becomes sort of like muscle memory once you've you know got that sort of flow in mind. Once you know, okay, well, I go here to here to here. You don't consciously think about it anymore, so you can concentrate on the casting. But it's it's one of those things that you definitely have to for for a while practice. You know, you you def I've I've been practicing camera work. I've you know been watching replays and just like yeah. okay, well, if if I was a viewer, what do I want to see? I want to be seeing this, mm. this, this, and then, okay, how do I move between those things I want to see? Because yeah. I think that's the biggest problem that I've had is transitioning from one piece of action to the other. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting because that's, that's the same way I, I do it with new casters that really come, come to me and say, like, Hefla, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a very good guy. I can speak in front of people. I know the game very much, but, like, I'm, I'm bad at camera. How do I cast? How do I podcast and stuff like that? And, yeah, I'm actually sitting down with them for hours and I'm like, yeah, like this is how you do the camera, like smooth drag. Just imagine you're like a Hollywood director and you make a movie out of this game. Like it has to be smooth. <laughs> Nobody is, is going to watch a movie where you have like a shaky hand camera, even though that's also like sort of art style nowadays. But forget about it. In Dota, it's, it's just not going to work. Okay, um, so we talked about the, the little shadow effect. And obviously you're always looking upwards and you have two guys to look upwards. And I hope this is not an offense, but I mean, um, when Cap joined, he had pretty much was at the same status you are. Uh, it was like, oh my god, I joined, joined Dota, to there's Toby, like that big figure, and he has to work his way up. He actually did that uh, quite well, because even Reddit embraces him now for, for many parts of what he's doing. There's still, of course, the, 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 the people that never changed it will always hate. The people yeah. that say, like, okay, maybe a lot of that is also choreography, fake. We have the same story about Sayori, for example. Those who improve, most people say, ah, that's not even authentic. Uh, what are you actually doing towards this besides just looking upwards? You you actually have active training or something like that, or it's really just learning by doing? It's, it's a lot of learning by doing um, for actual casting, you know, asking for feedback and things like that. But then it's also like social media aspects of it. I've been getting um, getting feedback from the social or the community managers at Freaks for You. So they they do a lot of uh, mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, social media work for okay. their for their partners, for other companies. So I don't know if you've seen my, my Facebook and Twitter recently have been pretty active with all sorts of funny pictures and interesting <laughs> quotes and things like that, little videos and yeah. you know, it's 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 a SEO. lot of uh, it's a lot of putting content out there, but yeah, it's it's the same situation Cap had where the first, you know, six, seven, eight months he had a lot of hate. And I think he's the one I've bonded with a lot since I've been here, just because we've had very similar experiences. Knowing that I've got room to grow and I've got the, the backing of, uh, of Join Dota and Toby and Cap and Blitz, and obviously there's Melk, Zoe, and uh, yeah. everyone there as well. But it's, it's nice to know that. If, it's kind of weird thinking that if I'd gone you know, my direct route and not joined, joined Dota and thought, okay, I'm going to make this my vocation. I'm going to become a caster. And I've been hit by the Reddit, you know, sort of hate train. Like, oh, who is this guy? What's he doing? Oh, yeah. I, prob I, I probably would have stopped. You know, I, I wouldn't have gone actively looking like to ask people, okay, what do I do? Has anyone had this experience before? And maybe this is uh, something that a lot of other people, a lot of other casters have had as well, where, you know, they, they read one nasty comment on, on YouTube and they're like, well, 
nice. What, 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 what do I do now? Is this the truth? Do I ask someone, uh, ask someone else how they feel about this? Do I look for feedback or anything like that? But it, it's great to have, you know, emotional um, support basically uh, yeah. ready and available. How do you actually get your feedback? I mean, we have some sources already mentioned. You, you said, of course, your, your peers like the casters you're looking up to, maybe even, of course, other casters, because you're, you're watching uh, other casters, obviously, just like every other eSport guy is doing that. You have social media, Reddit, obviously, but are there any other sources? Is it like someone, like maybe even not eSport related? Because sometimes that's also like an interesting view on things. Your mom watching a stream, she says like, why are you talking that way? Why are you pronouncing <laughs> it? You know, no, something like that. Oh. It's sometimes really interesting. I... Yeah, I, no. If if I asked my mum to watch one of my casts, I would assure you she'd say that. Like, why why do you why do you have the accent? Because I have, I have like a morphing accent. If I'm casting with an American, my accent sort of slightly uh, sort of shifts towards yeah. the American spectrum. If I'm casting with Toby, I start going a little more British, not Australian. I go more British to try and counteract his Australianness. Yeah. But uh, no, I've I've never asked sort of family members or anything outside of esports to to give feedback. Uh, the 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 biggest ones like I've asked Toby and Cap for feedback, but I've asked Blitzmore. I ask a lot of my co-casters for feedback because obviously they're the ones on the front lines that they're in the game, they're listening, they know what I'm looking at, they know what I'm talking about, and I think they're often the the best ones to give feedback. You know, they they have listened to you directly through Skype or through Teams speak in the actual game so they know okay well you said this it was a little bit weird sometimes maybe they forget the the moment but i think it's nice to get feedback from your co-casters as well yeah that's true uh, we also flame each other which is like a very constructive thing you just insult the other guy everybody knows it's just for fun but um it's it's better than like that awkward sitting together like oh i think you could do that better and stuff like that i guess that's how it always works amongst peers um talking about amongst peers so the whole shadow thing and like is there an actual ranking in join dota like for example when it comes to events let's say tomorrow is a big event uh join dota gets asked to you know put talents on that event for coverage commentary etc um who gets the event right now is there a ranking is there like well this is definitely a toby thing this is something where we could send durka and cap or is it just a scheduling thing how does join dota do that um, it, it's a mix of a number of things. It, it comes down to a lot. Uh, a lot of the time, the actual event managers, uh, event managers themselves, they'll come to join Dota and ask for specific talent. You know, they'll say, okay, we want Toby to do the grand finals, we want Toby and Cap to do this, or we want Blitz and Toby to do that. And then Melk is in charge of sort of, you know, selling the talent. Yeah. They, Obviously, they, they try and push for as much talent as they, as they can. You know, they try and get me to MLG, try and get me to other events and things mm. like that. Sometimes there's no budget but uh, for, for the event managers themselves. But I, I, I don't know if there's an actual tiering, but obviously they're, you know, within the company, I, there's obviously, you know, Toby, Cap and Blitz are the premier talent for Dota 2 in our company. Then mm. there's Zoe who does panel work and interviews and things like that. So uh, that's sort of her role she takes. So I'm if if there is a ladder, I'm down at the bottom somewhere for Dota two. Okay. But yeah. I I've got a long way to climb. Okay, so pretty much Melk is is the the center point. He's the agent. He's trying to sell he's, the talent, and then he, of course he's trying it alongside the value. But the valuation is also coming from the outside. I mean, if it was about 
your peers they would probably say like man like of course get Durka of course that's something I don't know a natural choice where outsiders they are like what they're looking for numbers they of course want to have a cap because he's right now on a, on a good wave of feedback on social of media course. or Toby because he's just like the primordial soup of <laughs> of Dota itself okay that's that's very interesting so yeah I mean Toby explained it already in in the last week's uh, podcast that like the the whole studio thing anyway besides having the opportunity to to stand in a studio produce in a studio which of course makes other casters that cast from home very jealous because there are like a whole lot opportunities you have there instead of like the the bedroom cast um but besides that it's yeah very interesting that it's going more towards like a talent agency and then of course being in an agency that is like one of the first agencies where organizers go to and ask like hey i need free casters give me please free casters and then they just pitch them in all the affiliates plus of course the, the studio intern internal casters pretty much so i guess you're gonna in a good position so it's it's the good career step ti invites and i hope this is not not gonna be awkward i mean uh, what's their hope be honest What's their hope? Of course, like you, you dream of yes. being invited to yeah. TI5. You hope you'll get invited. I didn't expect, and I don't think that, you know, lo looking at the people that were invited and knowing that it's the, it's the premier event of the year, I don't think I deserved in, an invite. The, the performance or the sort of following I have that, uh, that goes with it. I, I don't think that casting at TI5 as my first real LAN event should be should be the thing. You know, I did D2CL, which was sort of a, a LAN we held in the JD offices, but casting my first big international, the international, I, I don't think that should have been the step. Uh, I, I don't know how it was viewed before, but I've, uh, I've heard that people had the feeling that previous TIs, TI1, TI2, maybe TI3, were seen as, you know, like, uh, I don't know a like a reward for casters or community figures saying, "Oh, you did a great job this year." Yes. Back when there yeah. weren't that many, but this year there are so many people. There are so many people that have done you know hard work, Mort, Pimpmuckle, Blaze, Basekip. There, there's a multitude of people that could have been invited. But when you look at the numbers and you think, "Okay, well, 20 or so were invited last year. 20 have been invited this year." Okay, maybe Valve could have increased the number by five, but what does that give them? It doesn't really give them an increase in, you know, the actual production value doesn't give them an increase. Maybe it reduces the level that casters have to work at. Mm -hmm. They they work for what, you know, a couple of hours less over the two weeks or whatever TI runs for, but it's it just makes sense for Valve. So it's it's more the let's say the the community reward system to the well, we run an event, we just want the best talent, yeah. we just pick it, and that's it. I mean, Toby kind of explained it that um, the prize pool also plays a role. Because, like, in, in the last years, it always felt like that the prize pool was sort of an accident that happened. It's like, oh, you know, let's make that $1 million uh, <laughs> tournament, and then, ooh, oh, look at that, $10 million, $40 million, ooh. Like, everybody was like, wow, what what's that? But, like, I mean, this year, nobody's surprised. Everybody is like... Fully expecting it. Yeah, like everybody is counting on it. Like everybody knows it's going way beyond fifty yeah. million. And now the question is, the only question mark in the entire thing is how high does it go? And that all being said, Toby really literally said so. Valve just has to step it up. They want to go on big production. They want to push it on TV. And that is pretty much the reason. Um, yeah, some casters are not getting in. But don't you think that's maybe even a, a bit of a disconnect with the community? That they don't invite certain casters? 
Yeah, because I mean, like the the years before, it was always that like that spectrum of castes, and you really represented pretty much everyone who had some sort of significance in the in the Dota two scene. And now we come to the whole point is like, okay, who's the best talent, who's best known, who has the best affiliation and networking, and of course also previous history. It it comes down to, yeah, really like the, the normal thing. Like now the TI is, is nothing but like the other tournament around the corner, pretty much. I, I think they have to set themselves up like this and they've got to sort of, I, I don't know, set the precedent now of of the TI being like this rather than it being like previous TIs just because the majors are coming up yeah. because they know that the majors are going to be such a great source of income that they have to have really great quality control on these majors that they I don't know if they're looking at TI as being like the control group for this they're, they're testing the waters to see okay this group of talent worked let's mm. see if we take a third of this talent move it to this major a third of the talent move it to that major and if that's how they want to look at it but I, I'm pretty sure that the, the, the upcoming majors have a massive uh, sort of factoring in to why they've chosen the talent the way they've done this way. Okay, that's very interesting. What's also for, for me sometimes interesting to see is like when Reddit goes for a simple name. And, and I don't want to mention any name because that's something you, you should never do, of course, especially not if something goes public, uh, because everybody's working hard of most of the people we could mention by name. But um, I think Reddit also has sometimes, for example, the, the habit that um, I call it circle jerking. And I'm, I don't mean the normal circle jerking. I'm, it's also many people I saw comments on Reddit like, oh, man, that guy that worked so much this year and everything. And then truth is he's a friend of yours and uh, or just an acquaintance and the fact is he actually spent uh, 11 out of 12 months since the TI4 uh, at university casted about 50 games and then people are, like just go on reddit and he says like, oh he worked so hard he deserves his TI5 slot and everything and you have that for for many people that like I don't know what they see what they want to see what's actually happening is so totally off um, is that something you I don't know see yourself I mean, you're, for example, let's let's say it on the third position in, in the caster ranking on Join Dota, which means you get a lot of MLG content that might also not be the, the top content as such. You cast a lot, but is there actually a reward? Does anyone make a, a threat like, wow, Durka is, is casting 12 hours in a row, 14 hours in a row, like six <laughs> days a week, and uh, that guy is working so hard. No, at the end, it's just like, wow, look, Cap, he casted that one game last week, something like It's just a out-of-the-air example, but you get what I mean, yeah. right? I, something that, you know, Toby said to me, you know, I talked about the emotional backup that I've had when I had one of these moments where, you know, a Reddit thread came out saying, well, you know, why is Durka a, a caster at Joinjot or something like that? Hmm. Um, I, I went and talked to people like, okay, well, this is some feedback that I've been given from Reddit. What, what do I do about it? And he said, don't worry, man, you, you, you're working hard. You've been doing this MLG content, you know, you're, you're learning the teams, you're learning the trade. You know, I, I look at the first six months of this as basically like an apprenticeship. I've been working my ass off to try and learn how to be one of the best. That, that's what I'm aiming for. You know, I, like, like Cap was saying, I'm aiming for this in steps. I'm aiming for my first uh, LAN event that I do for JD. I'm then aiming maybe next year TI. You know, fingers crossed. We'll, we'll look uh, to see where that goes for. But Toby said to me, you'll prove yourself as a cap. You'll, you'll, you'll prove yourself as you know, a, a caster, uh, what one uh, one day? Oh God, I've forgotten what the freaking quote was. But he basically said to me, you know, "You'll prove yourself to the community one day," and yeah. that's what I'm looking at now. Is that 
even if you do all this hard work and you know not, not naming names but there are a lot of people who do it they're still waiting for that one moment that one game where yeah. the community goes holy crap yeah. this is a guy we want to listen to and uh, some people have had those games some people have had those moments cap toby have had those you know you know ridiculous games where they're like toby at the uh, at esl1 was it oh god i can't remember what one of the games where he literally didn't breathe he did this full team fight for a good like four minutes didn't freaking make an audible breath but he was you know obviously doing his whole casting magic breathing through his nose and talking at the same time like like a trumpet player or something but eventually you'll you'll get one of those moments and that's when that's when it's going to click okay that's that's interesting i mean um there's of course one thing that's kind of important like you you talk about that one moment the exposure moment that like that all of the casters are waiting for um that kind of scales with the significance of the game as well so top tier yeah. content is top exposure like sometimes I don't know, you, you, you see people casting and grinding, let's say, for example, MAG content, that's like normal group stage. Now people pay attention, maybe also the scheduling was just bad because there was here, final, there, final, and it was parallel, right? So nobody really noticed that. And then some, sometimes you have that one game, it's the only content at the moment online, or it's their game of, of the season. And then people are like, wow, why did I never like see this cast? I've never seen you before. And yeah. then you're like, man, I, I just casted, I don't know, 100 hours last week. How can you just miss that if you even follow the content and stuff like that? So that's, of course, also something. That's why I asked, like, how is the priority in Join Dota? Like, who gets what content? And is there maybe some of the bigger ones saying, like, you know what? I get the viewers together on this game by myself, maybe by the personality. We're going to pitch Durka a, a better game just, you know, to have the, the better promo, the better exposure. Yeah, uh, and business it, decision. Well, yeah, it's I, I've been given a couple of the bigger games. I think the best example was D2CL, uh, the the lead up to the LAN event. I was given quite a lot of the D2CL content to sort of um, give me some of the bigger name teams. You know, the the Empire, the NIP, the 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 yeah. bigger teams there, the VG, and th that was that was great to do. The fact that I could actually, you know, outside of researching and watching, I could actually cast their games, and it was. Uh, great experience for me. So it, it definitely does get taken into account. Okay, he's you know been casting tier two, tier three teams for the past week and a half or the past five days. Let's let's give him one of these big games. Okay. That's interesting. Um I wanna go away from this because uh like it's 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 something I could talk hours about it, but oh, yes. we also have to keep <laughs> uh we keep uh, it interesting for the rest of the people that wanna have like a bigger picture around the person, Durka and the caster. Um before we actually came into uh, this talk uh, you mentioned something to me like the Dota 2 nomenclature which is around like what kind of words we use at the moment and how they change uh, depending on the meta can you elaborate this and is this by the way part of the 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 non-casting content you're working on or is this just something that's this coming is, from you this is just one of those things that um, I, I, I it doesn't really grind my gears but it's one of my sort of pet peeves where when I sit down and I think about you know, I, I, I watch back my old cast and I think about, hang on a second, I'm using the words like carry, I'm using the words like support. When yeah. when you look at this Winter Wyvern and you say, okay, he's a support, what do you mean by this? Do you mean he's going to be buying wards? Is that what support means? Is, is he <laughs> going to be harassing people? Is that is that what, like, the words carry and supports, they are archaic, obsolete words that don't have any real meaning yeah. or bearing in the games that we watch today. Because a carry can be a Storm Spirit mid, he can carry the game. It can be a crystal freaking maiden with a blink dagger and a BKB that carries the game from a yeah. from a support position. 
But that's and that's just, that's by the way the same problem I had with the like the positioning and the numbering because it was like you have metas where it suddenly the the roles change, the lanes change, and everything, and yeah. then it's totally confusing. So I, I never really started to use it in the first like, place. Like when when you looked at the five role Earthshaker, the you know what four months ago when a lot of the Chinese teams or European teams even were using Earthshaker as a hero that sat mid, protected the Shadow Fiend or Queen of Pain, yeah. and he was a support. But then 15 minutes in, you'd, you'd look at him and you're like, holy crap, he got a blink dagger. How did he get this? Because he went from the five roll into basically the two roll. He got yeah. farm priority over the mid. He got farm priority sometimes even over the, the actual sort of carry hero. Yeah. Because the actual prioritization of that specific item, the blink dagger and Earthshaker, was so important. So there's not just shifting of naming within within oh sort of in the meta itself you know you sort of switch from the old days where there were two carry two supports a carry a mid and an off lane and that was the naming system it was simple it was easy because that's what you do there there was very easily defined roles then yeah. now you're looking at heroes which they change within the games you know you, you look at a hero like dazzle you think okay well he's going to be zoning people out he's primarily a zoning hero he's going to be sitting high up in the lane like a witch doctor does right click the crap out of the enemy and then what does he do he goes and stacks and pulls the jungle. He goes and, yeah. you know, he, he, heroes like that, I think, are the most well-rounded support heroes in general. But it's, it's hard to allocate these names. And I think one of the things that Valve maybe has to start looking at, the little shields that you get on the hero portraits in-game, where yeah. it says they're you know, good at pushing, they're nuker, they're disabled. Oh, God, that is the worst it's, thing ever. It's so messy. It, like, yeah. giving, giving heroes traits like that means that... Okay, it gives people a good idea how the hero might work. Yeah, but it's like a more starter guide, isn't it? Like, I mean, go go to the freaking menu, go to jungler, and you have half the heroes missing that are actually, <laughs> if you play it correctly, viable for a jungle, right? So it's more of a starter guide. It's like those, they will just, you know, point at those heroes where you can really just stand there and then spin to win or lifesteal to win with whatever. So it's more of a starter guide, but... You 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 actually thinking about this, but do you actually put this in in words like vocally or like as in letters in a, in a blog or something like that? Um, there was a Reddit thread that came up, and it's one of the things that sort of clicked it for me. I talked about it on cast before with people like Nahas, you know, sort of like hmm. a two minute or three minute spiel where there's nothing going on in the game, and we start you know spitballing about naming systems. I, th I think one of the biggest things was. Uh, the, the Earthshaker example again, I, I didn't want to call him a support, didn't want to call him a core hero, didn't want to call him anything really apart, he was a holding hero, he was holding a lane, he was holding someone's hand and yeah. I, I kind of made this football analogy where I saw him as the sort of the, the Makalele or the Steven Gerrard, the Patrick Vieira of, of Dota 2, you know, yeah. you, don't, you don't notice him until he needs to be noticed and then he comes out, he destroys you and, or, or he saves his teammate, he saves the game for you. But I, I did a, a small like Reddit reply to uh, to a thread where someone basically the, right, the title here I found it Valve please change carry to core in the new pick screen so they they wanted the, the name carry to be removed completely yeah. to be renamed to core because obviously now we use the the word core for people that get one to three farm priority kind of thing um, and I basically just went on to say our entire naming system is a mess a lot of it's obs obsolete but the the biggest problem is that you can't pigeonhole heroes. No, you, you can't. can't no, you, yeah. you, you, you can't pigeonhole players. You, you, like every single player on every single hero in every single game, there are so many different permutations of this that you're never going to be able to say, okay, this hero, uh, this player on this hero is going to be doing this thing because they're always going to change and ad adapt to what's going on in the game.
Yeah, that's actually very interesting. But uh, now, of course, comes my question because I'm always a guy who wants, I don't know, to you know plant a tree, build a house, yada yada yada, like the the substantial things. Like, how could you actually put this into, yeah, some sort of form? I mean, I'm not I'm not asking you to do content right now because you're probably gonna be busy <laughs> with your Chinola stuff. I'm not trying to steal the idea. I mean, I like it, but. Um, I mean, Reddit thread is one thing, but a Reddit thread is just vanishing into the internet nirvana at some point. Yeah. Um, a blog, well, for that you actually need to be a person. It could also be something that helps you to become a person, but okay. Like, is there actually any way we could do this? I mean, that let's like not actually us doing it. You know what I mean? Like, is, yeah, putting yeah. it into the community. This is one of the problems I had, and this is probably one of the reasons I had considered a blog and I talked about people before, and they, they, they did the same thing as you, like write a blog about it, you know, put, put your thoughts out there. But the biggest issue with this is that you can't make up terms or make up words on your own and expect them to be accepted. So e even if you have a great idea and, you know, you say, okay, this Earthshaker is a holding hero, he's not a support, he's holding uh, in this position and that's his role name. People aren't just going to say, yeah, that's right, that's what we're going to call it. They have to be used like in, in a cast more than once and you've sort of got to slip them in over time and then they become accepted. You know, the, I think a prime example of this is gap closer. The phrase gap closer was not used at all until like seven months ago. No one used it in Dota 2 until seven months ago when heroes like Dreyranger, like Spectre were picked up and like, okay, yeah. well, we need, we need a hero that can jump. We need a hero that can catch. We need a hero that can gap close. Hey, gap close. Everyone starts using this phrase because <laughs> it fits so perfectly. So until you have this sort of epiphany moment where every, like, you know, three or four casters start using the same phrase, that they'll become accepted. I just feel like they're, I don't know, the naming system needs to be a little bit fresher than it, than it is currently. But actually getting this to happen is incredibly difficult. I, maybe a blog will help. Maybe, you know, casters will read a blog and appropriate one of these naming terms and then it gets pushed out, but I, uh, I, I don't know. What about the bad nomenclature? Because I'm a, I got into Dota casting around like the, the big Toby area, uh, era, so I still find myself sometimes saying Quaddle Blast. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes even like I, I, I don't even want to, but I say rod of Aoi. Like, oh, what about this? Like, you, you think that should be completely? I don't know. Just get rid of all these bad words that some caster made up and that somehow got traction. See, I, I think things like that are okay. Like the two examples you gave are okay because they're like little nuances of your cast. Cottle blast. That that's a that's a Toby thing. Pugna blast. PL blast. Whatever yeah. blast. That that's a Toby thing. You, you hear that? You're like Toby one. He's casting <laughs> right now. I think they're fine, you know, some people call Medusa the snake lady, you know, it's, it's, it's the little things like that that give your cast flavor and, you know, maybe you're not perfectly saying, okay, Medusa the hero is moving off to mid lane, saying the snake lady is going down the river, something like that, it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm not so sure about, like, the pronunciation of words, though. Um, let, let's take Aegis the Immortal, for example. It, there, there are two pronunciations of that word, Aegis and Aegis. And I know Aegis. Toby. Like, I know like, Toby does yeah. not use either of those pronunciations. There's there's things said. like that. He says Aegis. Aegis, yeah, like with a yeah, with, with a hard, with a hard G. G, pretty much. But like Aegis, I, yeah. then again, it's also one of those Toby nuances. You know that it's it's Toby casting because he says it like that. So it it's hard to differentiate uh, differentiate between things that are wrong mm -hmm. and should be changed, and things that are wrong but are so 
ingrained in the casting style that changing them would you know demean yeah. or break what's style. so good about the cast yeah, yeah. And then you can also not forget that, like, of course, the, the, the more famous this person is, or it, it doesn't even have to be about fame, but, like, for example, quantity or, like, a quality cast, as in, like, he is on the most significant matches, then um, it's it's maybe even just trend-setting. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time in human mankind's history that, like, a mistake actually becomes a real thing, and then, yeah. you know, I, I guess that's that's how Cuddle Blast was, for example, born, and I don't get it out of my head, so thanks, Toby, <laughs> for that one. Oh, God, um, chat. <laughs> Vis visage, visage. Yeah, visage, visage. Coup de grace. Uh, visage. Nobody says visage. Lich. Coup de grace. Like, is it lich or lich? Like, some people say lich. Some people say lich. I I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> know about that one. I I say lich, but I'm not sure. Yeah, coup de grace. I mean, that's that's kind of easy because like from French. Like, you really can actually look those words up and uh, go to DixieC and then just let a, f a French computer speak it out or, like, a guy. That's that's easy. But the other stuff is, like, you never know where this is. Uh, for example, oh, there was a Reddit thread this, I think, this very week or even this very day because we had the Winter Vibrant topic there. Someone was oh, posting. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And it's Winter Vibrant. But, like, um, for example, one caster I even co-casting with, he says Viverin. Yeah. Some say Vivern, and I don't know. I, I don't even know why I said Vivern. It was just me being a stupid foreigner, and I th I just thought, okay, the native English guys, they see a Y, so it's just Vivern, Vivern. Yeah, it makes sense. Sounds relatively good. We just go for it. So they actually posted a, a say they they posted like this Reddit thread, and then the typical Reddit insults like clueless casters don't know how to pronounce this and that and what not lack of education bullshit you you should read that thread it's hilarious oh, like wow. i found it yeah it's 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 kind of hilarious but it's it's interesting that like everybody also has like a different approach like till till today nobody knows if it's visage or if it's visage it well like in in french it's visage yeah but like english see the, the problem is that the English language has appropriated French words and made them English. Like visage is the, the English pronunciation of it, but the French pronunci uh, pronunciation is visage. Then there's other words like we use, um, oh, oh God. Uh, what, what else do we use in, from French? We, we use a bunch of French words where we actually use the French pronunciation. None of them come to mind right now. I, I actually thought about this before because at, at the TI... De déjà vu. That, that's a great example. Thank you. So we actually say déjà vu. Uh, well, we, we 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 half do. We we half kind of say that déjà vu. Yeah. But you it's, say boulevard, or we, we say boulevard with a with a d at the end. Yeah, you you actually speak the the r d yeah. there. But yeah, okay. Yeah, we have. I mean, that's that's something anyway. Like people always think that their version is right, and of course Reddit always thinks they're right anyway. So. That's, that's very interesting, but I don't know, if anyone has a good idea, guys, how to actually put, I don't know, some sort of content around how to say things, nomenclature, um, how misleading certain things actually are, and what changes in the meta that, like, the carry name as such is outdated, that would really be interesting to put it in sort of content, but right off the top of my head, I wouldn't even know how to really no. make that work, because a blog is not enough. Unless you really want to write, I don't know, pages long, 
And a thesis. Might, let's yeah. write. Let's write a thesis on Dota Two nomenclature. Yeah. And it might be outdated the next week. That's that's the funny part. Ice Rock's coming up with the patch, and you can delete your blog pretty much. Yeah. That's that's, 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 that's a good. That's a good point. Drag and drop. I think that is on Dota Talk TV. Yeah. Uh, best best of two. But best of two is like my biggest pet peeve, yeah. and I even I even yeah. catch myself saying it. I even catch myself saying it because that's how ingrained it is. Into no, you know why? No, that's 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 for for example for me, it's a simple story. Um, if you think about it, best of two, it's the most retarded things to say, right? The problem is that like ninety nine percent of the people that come to a stream, like let's say for example join Dota League, it's a best of two format. It's a two game series format to be very correct. But no. they use BO2 because like that's the format how it's mostly set in a stream title in in the score mubot whatever. So I just adapted it because if I say a two game series, people ask me a hundred fucking times in a Twitch chat, <laughs> how many games are left? And then two games are played and they ask me, where's the third game? Where's the third game? You know, yep. it's like <laughs> I've had that so, so many times. In the end, I was say, okay, I was I give it up. I burn a bit of my brain and I just say best of two. <laughs> I'm done with it, and people give understand yourself, me. Give yourself a lobotomy and just remove the part that gets pissed off at yes, the best of two. Yes. That's how it came. So that's a simple explanation from my side. I don't know how other people handle it, but sometimes you just have to give in to the majority of people. I know that sounds stupid and without a backbone, but, well, it's just a communication thing. Yeah. Like, for me, it's, it's kind of similar to... People, you know, misusing your and you are, you know, you are the, the yeah, abbreviation. Uh, so, but if they, if they type that out, you know, that, that that's horrible. But it, it's kind of the same thing for me that I cannot physically do it. I, maybe I catch myself doing it because I've been in a conversation with someone that said best of two, and my brain, you know, keeps on that train of thought, and I say best of two back, something like that. But it was um, it was an argument that I got in with a lot of people before in Dota as well. Short lane and long lane, oh. and this is this is an argument uh, like as yeah. old as Dota goes freaking back. Yeah. And I know a lot of professional players use short lane. A lot of casters use short lane to mean the um, the carry lane. The, the wait, short lane to mean the no. safe lane. No, short lane is the the off lane. No. I have no idea. I never worked see, around this terminology. See, no, no. But they, they they use it to say the the safe lane is the short lane because they think that oh well the the reasoning is that the creep wave moves the shortest distance and meets uh, closer to your tier one tower, and that's why it's called the short lane. Yeah. But like even on Play Dota, the original definitions and things like that, the short lane. If you look at the actual layout of the map, the shortest lanes are the off lanes because if you actually draw around, like draw a box around the lanes and you actually, you know, see which one is shortest and longest, the actual physical lanes themselves, it's the opposite. So that was, you know, either way, whichever's right, whichever's wrong, they're, they're both, you know, acceptable in, in, in some degree if you've got reasoning behind it. But that's very confusing, actually. I mean, yeah, well, that's the thing. That that's one of the yeah. nomenclature. That's one of the naming systems that we have to, I think, remove completely. We've got to use safe lane. We've got to use off lane. We've got to use yeah. hard lane. Whatever. But we cannot use short lane and long lane because they are, you know, completely yeah. obsolete. But I mean, it's also kind of a funny part because I mean, for example, the dire off lane becomes at some point the radiant safe lane. Uh, well, that's the know. thing. It, if, what if, is the what is the the border actually there? Is it the river? That's why I'm always like, I mean, if you actually cast, I mean, you have your camera on it. So, I mean, you're on the Radiant site and you just say, like, okay, they just killed him here in the safe lane. So, obviously, you're not talking about, right, 
some kilometers north somewhere in the dire area of that safe lane. So I think that's kind of safe, uh, self-explanatory. Is that the correct word? Safe, yeah. self-explaining, whatever. Yeah. See, the, also, like if, if you block off your creeps, if you're a clockwork on the dire off lane and you block your creeps, you suddenly turned this this long lane into a short lane, so it, it becomes com com like completely meaningless. But this image, I'll just post it to you. That that's that's the one. That's like the definition I use. If you look at the actual length of the lanes, I always went by the actual you know from from base to end of the lane. And you oh, look yeah. at yeah. like like the the map changes. You know you can see where the radiant side ends and it becomes dark trees and it turns to dire side. You can see where it ends. But yeah, that's so short is off, long is safe. Yeah. But then professional players, I know Blitz and Harney, I know uh, Purge, Toby, they use it the opposite way to mean where the creeps meet. So the offlaner has to run a further distance like away from his tier one tower to where the creeps meet, and that's where the lane is. But it's, you know, it, it's just a naming system that we shouldn't use anymore. But I think, yeah, but, but I think by now, I don't know what they, of course, use uh, amongst the players, um, even though I, I got to meet some of them and I also play with some of them, but I, actually I haven't heard long and short lane in a, in a long, long time. I don't know maybe maybe the old school guys are still, you know, still on it. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. I know. Um, I have to actually cut it out here. I mean, not cut it immediately, but um, <laughs> I just want to make a transition into uh, our bedtime. Pretty much, it's it's a very late. And B, the, the interview is going really long already. Um, I always tell my people on Reddit or social media that I will definitely work that question in. That already happened. So shout out to all those people who actually submitted the question. There is something, however, that could I, that I just couldn't work in without bluntly asking, where does your name come from? I saw this question. Yes. And the racial story one. That that is the that is the fourth time I've I've heard this, and I've asked each of the people apart from this guy where where they sort of get this from my my name originally comes from south park where the word derp you know d-e-r-p yeah derp and derka were, were both words used in south park as meaningless words you know derka derpa derka derpa derp they took her germs that, that kind of thing <laughs> um and i didn't use it for a while until i started playing on garena and i played with a lot of you know macedonians russians a lot of people that used uh, cyrillic or, or russian and derka or uh, Dirka meant uh, sort of like um, an insane asylum. So I thought, hey, that, that's a pretty fun name. Insane asylum, I'll, I'll, I'll use that now. And then obviously uh, Team, America, uh, Team America comes out. I still don't understand, well, I, I, still, I still don't see it as being like well, a racial I Googled slur. It. Like I Googled it, you would be surprised. Like uh, according to a lot of sources, like Dirka means like a retarded mid-eastern arabic guy oh, really like in, in short in my words pretty much like of course there are nicer words to describe this or even worse words to describe that but that's what it means i'm not sure if they refer on reddit uh like if they go into that direction but well i just assumed it so i just googled it and i was like urban dictionary and they're like all the entries are for example on this so urban dictionary yeah yeah well uh I know what, you, but, what but yeah. you're about to say. <laughs> well, no, no. Well, back to the the three people I'd asked before. We're all um, we're all from the USA. I've never heard like this. I've never heard this term used as a racial slur in Europe or anything like that. Obviously, I lived I lived in the South for three years. So the first time I got asked this question, where someone said, "Oh, I've got a friend who doesn't want to follow you on Twitter because of your name," I thought, "Huh." 
why? And I replied back when I asked Ben, like, what's, what's the reason? He said, he linked me that Urban Dictionary, um, the, the thread of it. And I, yeah. I went straight to ask, like, my Jordanian, my Lebanese, Saudi friends, and they were like... They had no idea. What? <laughs> they, 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 they had never heard it before, so I just sort of shrugged it off. But I, I don't know, with, like, the fourth time I hear it, I'm sort of wondering... You know, is it worth looking into and you know considering maybe changing name? It's definitely something that I've thought of, but I'm I'm still kind of on the fence about this. But for me, it's not. If it is for other people, I I don't I I don't know where to go with it. Okay, we have two more questions from Reddit. Uh, the the one thing is, of course, a relatively good one. It's a stand-up one that would I a question I would ask you on an event if I had the ten-question interview with you. Uh, what is your most proud eastward? moment i mean i guess he means like what is your highlight pretty much in your career so far um it's that's that's a difficult one i think it's probably casting my first uk LAN event with Pyrian flax i49 i think that's probably my proudest one which got me started but then there's obviously casting an iesf and d2cl which was yeah. which was great for me as well i think i'd still put the pflax one ahead just because it was my first event and like, you know, the euphoria you get from a first LAN event with someone as famous as PFLAX, yeah. you know, it, it, it was really good. Or well, casting it on LAN at all, like, it's, it's just a totally different feeling. I mean, you can have 30,000 people on a stream, that's just a number, but if you're suddenly in front of 100 people, or 500 people, or 1,000 people, then, yeah, it, it gets different. And there was one more, everything else I pretty much uh, worked in already. Where is it? Oh yeah, that was actually a funny one. Uh, can if yeah, can you ask him if it's ever possible to have a beer with him and the other joint Dota guys? And that I'm I'm not gonna ask this, <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna ask like, are you guys interacting with people like, um, for example, in joint Dota? Are there people sometimes coming in that just like get a stu uh, like a studio tour, or is there like a fan of you on Twitter and says like, man, Durka, I'm living pretty much right next to you. Let's let's have a beer and talk about Dota. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think the the latter one has happened to me yet, unless like a message has got lost into the ether of the internet. No one, no one said, "Hey, let's go get a beer." Um, I think they used to do studio tours here, but they they don't anymore. Obviously, there's there's more of the company now. There's um, a lot more than just JD. So, you know, letting someone in and walking around the the studio isn't really feasible. But yes, it will be possible to have a beer with me at least. TI5 is coming up, and there's obviously going to be pub stomps in Berlin, yep. which I'll probably be going to. So, depending on where it is or uh, or when it is, hopefully there'll be hopefully there'll be a good one. I've heard that the meltdown here is pretty small, so maybe someone sets up a big pub stomp event in I don't know Spandau in Berlin somewhere. Then, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's the option. So I think that's pretty much all the question answered. And and with this, I, I would like to uh, wrap this up. We have. I think we got a lot of nice information out of you, Durka. Also, like beyond the ten question stuff, and well, it was very nice actually talking with you. Now is your opportunity to give a shout out to all the people you like, love, or hate. Oh, oh! Shout out to Kit Kat, who's sitting next to me, my girlfriend. Can, uh, <laughs> She's also in the in the waving here. Yeah, you can uh, check her out at, at KitKat underscore Dota on Twitter. She, she posts memes and cat pictures and things like that. But oh, okay. also, also, if you're interested in uh, JD VODs, a lot of the TI5 hub VODs, a lot of D2CL, ESL, all of, the, all of the VOD stuff gets uploaded by her. All of the little tags you see that say skip draft and skip to, skip to gameplay is all done by her as well. She's uh, doing the grunt work in the background. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> 
the database wizard. Um, shout out to who else? People in chat. Shout out to Dragon Drop and Knoxville and people for dropping in. It's been uh, it's been fun reading you guys trolling me. It's, it's yeah. been good, but. Yeah. Just oh. shout, shout, shout out to everyone. I'm, I'm going to do the cheesy thing. The, the, there are no individuals oh, yeah. outside of those guys. Just uh, I, I love you all. <laughs> I love you all. Oh, by the way, like I that's that's one thing I'm going to push in because I just because I can. Uh, you 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 actually play a lot of in houses. I mean, I yesterday or two days ago they asked me like, hey, you want to play in house? So I came into that uh, Saint Deviant stats. Also, shout out to those guys. They do amazing stat work, and they are pretty much working around almost all the English casters now. Every single studio or label out there is working yeah. with some of them. So yeah, good guys. I even had for the last three days for that Chinese tournament, I had like one guy following us through and he was for the majority, like more than 10 hours statsing. Very good. And even though he calls himself an apprentice, I think he did a good job. He did, it's like, he's my personal card, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, uh, you actually interact with those people, which is which is a cool thing. So you, you're also like still connected to, I don't know, the, the lesser people, let's, let's call it like this. <laughs> see, that, see, that's the thing. I've, I've never seen myself as being like above other people, even if they see it that way, you know, I still... I still play in a couple of UK in-house league games. I, I, I had the itch, you know, I think it was two weeks ago, I went back to the, the UK in-house league and I went back and I was like, right, I'm, I'm gonna play some games here. I've missed you guys. I could join the team speak. Let, let's hear the British memes again, hearing about Danny D and all the, uh, all the lovely British people once again, it's, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, keeping, I think keeping in touch with the people that you work with or people that work for you or, you know, whatever, whatever manner of um, sort of link you have with them you've got to keep that link yeah okay and i think this was pretty much the the final word keeping the link with the community durka is one of those guys who will never lose it i guess and uh well i personally wish you of course good luck in germany don't let the germans get to you uh <laughs> good luck of course around the joint dollar studios uh you have well we, we will see if the travels are bumpy or not or if, if you give up on the way, or I don't know, maybe tomorrow you're going to be famous and better than Toby. Who knows? Everything can happen on this planet. That's that's pretty much the funny part about it. Uh, I want to thank you for all the people that just are here in the stream, as well as then later on SoundCloud or YouTube. And yeah, the, the last story, I'm also trying to not, you know, uh, lose touch with the community. That's why I played, for example, Invoker Gyrocopter with you, and we carried that game through. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, shout out from my side comes to or goes to 2P. They're gonna write up a nice uh, bullet article about this podcast here. So people that are just too lazy to to listen or they just have too many other things to do, they can actually read up on some important things you said. And that all is gonna be promoted then, of course, on on Reddit and their site and social media. So guys, give that likes and retweets and and whatever buttons you can click on the social media stuff. That helps me, that helps Dorka, that helps everyone. If you want to support it, that's cool. And of course, the last shout out goes to Hitbox, supporting this show, making it possible. First of all, we can stream it here. They like it, that's why they want to support it. And then the more love you give it, the more and the longer it comes. Well, no, the more it comes and the longer it goes. English is hard, <laughs> apparently. No, I've 48 hours no sleep is a bad thing. I'm gonna get a big, big bunch of sleep and then we come back for the next episode and maybe in some month we're gonna look back on what we talked today here, Durka, and then look at the progress. Time to hibernate. Yes. Time to Thanks hibernate. for having me. See you guys. See ya.